0: Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund. It's also made possible by the Kislak Family Foundation, supporter of education, arts, humanities, and Florida history, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on the program, John Dos Passos Coggin is receiving the Samuel Proctor Oral History Award this week for his book, in Lawton. I fell in love
1: with the folk hero aspect uh, of his story, his
0: sensitivity to, to people of all cultures. We'll preview the first annual Florida Maritime Science Festival to be held Saturday, June 8th at Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute in Fort Pierce.
2: Well, the goal of the event is really to highlight Florida's rich maritime history.
0: That and much more ahead on Florida Frontiers.
3: inspiration Keep an eye on the holy land.
4: A hypothetical
3: destination.
4: Say
0: who is
3: this walking man?
0: Lawton Childs was one of Florida's most respected and influential politicians. During his four-decade political career in the Florida House of Representatives, the Florida State Senate, and the United States Senate, and as a two-term governor of the state, Childs worked for transparency in government, health care reform, and successfully fought the advertising practices of the tobacco industry. John Despassos Coggin has written the book Walkin' Lawton, which is being called the definitive biography of Lawton Childs. Coggins' articles have appeared in the Tampa Bay Times, the Baltimore Sun, and the Florida Times Union. He is the maternal grandson of the politically inspired novelist John Dos Passos, who is best known for his USA trilogy. His influence
1: began uh, when I first read his books, uh, which was in high school. Um, before high school, uh, his uh, his legacy his Memory was uh, was known to me through my mom's stories of what he was as a man, as a father, uh, as a friend to many people in, uh, in in the Northern Neck where he made his home for the last years of his life. But in high school, reading his famous trilogy, the U.S. USA, uh, I first came. I came to know. Uh, I felt his sensibilities his political motives uh the fullness of his character and that first reading taught me about myself as well it taught me uh about uh, what i was later to become that that instincts for writing instincts for composition for creative uh and and imaginative pursuits would uh, would be a calling that would uh,
0: that I would feel one day. John Despasos Coggin was inspired to write the book Walkin' Lawton based on stories he heard during his own political activism in Florida. During the 2004 presidential campaign, Coggin made his way to Florida to work in one of a handful of swing states that determined the outcome of our country's presidential elections. My
1: first big dip into political campaign experience uh, was uh, the spring early late winter of uh, 2004 uh, when Howard Dean, uh, a Democrat, was running for president and um, making a last uh, big effort, a last big push for the New Hampshire primary. Uh, I was so inspired by the work I did, the grassroots work I did on that campaign, knocking on doors, that uh, I decided I wanted to continue that um, and pursue work on the Kerry campaign. That brought me to Orlando, Florida, uh, summer of 2004. I worked as a canvasser, uh, knocking on doors, reaching out to hundreds and hundreds of voters. Uh, the approximate total number of doors I hit was was 6,000 uh, during that summer and uh it changed me as a as a person it changed my political outlook it gave me a, a deep appreciation for the people who uh put their who um put their feet on the uh, one foot in front of the other and um work to uh push campaigns forward no matter the conditions uh whether it be hurricanes extreme heat uh, and I felt after that summer and fall, uh, I worked the campaign through to completion uh, on Election Day. Um, I, I, gained, I acquired a kinship uh, with uh, a knowledge of the Lawton Child's legacy and a kinship with what I thought he represented, which was a, a commitment to that style of campaigning door-to-door uh, no matter the odds and no matter the extremes.
0: John Despasso's Coggin conducted more than a hundred interviews with the family, friends, co-workers, and political opponents of Lawton Childs to create the book Walk in Lawton. Coggin says that many of the people he spoke with were great storytellers.
1: I think the top of the list is uh, Bob Harris. Uh, he grew up in Lakelands. Uh, he was a history teacher and was plucked uh, from that career by Lawton Childs uh, very early in his Senate career and he became in addition to a watchdog on uh, government reform and government corruption issues uh, he became a, a, a an advisor on issues of race uh, he uh, became uh, one of one of uh, child's most precious uh, um, conveyors of, of counsel on racial issues in Florida and uh, across the nation. And uh, the bonds that they developed uh, was fascinating to me, uh, the strength of it. Uh, and, and Harris uh, was just a prodigious and uh, wonderfully talented storyteller.
0: In Walk in Lawton, John Dos Passos Coggin illuminates both the political career and the personal life of Lawton Childs, Coggan says the child 's boyhood in Lakeland, Florida, helped to shape the person and the politician he would become. I think the unique quality of his boyhood in
1: Lakelands that is something we don't appreciate anymore in this in this age of mass media of twenty four hour news is the fact that political engagement uh, attendance to the political rallies that occurred in downtown Lakeland, in Munn Park specifically, was both entertainment and a source of information. It was as entertaining and as lively to Lakelanders like Lawton Childs as a trip to the movies, as a trip to a baseball game. Uh, it was something that brought families together uh, and something that families continued to talk about over the dinner table after rallies. Uh, and those uh, – it, it was a source of kinship for Childs. It was a, it was a family bonding experience uh, and so I'm not surprised that uh, he came to love that uh, and, and, and feel – love that, those experiences and feel nostalgia for that era uh, decades later.
0: As the title Walk in Lawton indicates, Lawton Childs first became known to most people by walking the entire state during his 1970 campaign for Florida's U.S. Senate seat. He began with only 4% statewide name recognition and won the election. Childs' worn-out walking boots are on display in the state capitol. The walk was a
1: signature uh, event in his life. It was something that Uh, imprinted his personality and his politics for the rest of his life it was not only the piece of not only a campaign technique that catapulted him uh from obscurity to uh to fame and to uh uh to renown ultimately it was uh it was something that changed him uh personally uh he was no longer just an average Floridian uh, who could fade into the crowd. Uh, he was no longer an average Florida politician who could fade into obscurity um, and feel no qualms about it. He knew that thereafter um, he had to be different uh, because he he felt it literally, in his words, as a cross to bear. Uh, the obligation – he felt to Floridians in uh, and, and asking for their trust uh, person to person and shaking thousands of, of, uh, of hands. Um, the walk was a promise to Florida, and uh, he did his very best to keep it.
0: As Lawton Childs walked back and forth across the state and from one end to the other, he stopped to talk with many people along the way. These discussions with the people of Florida changed some of Child's key political perspectives, perhaps most notably his views on the Vietnam War. John Dos Passos Coggin.
1: He did allow himself to be changed and allowed himself to be humble uh, throughout uh, his walking campaign from uh, its beginnings in Century Florida on the Alabama border to its ends in Key Largo, uh, on, on the uh, in south in the furthest south of Florida uh, it was and it was a classroom for him it was a political classroom and uh, where he allowed himself to be a student and allowed voters uh, to be teachers and uh, perhaps the most visible uh, impressionable change was on Vietnam policy where he changed over the course of the walk from a hawk to a dove um, and, uh, and many voters who met him on that campaign uh, really they recognized that change and uh, it it was for some it was it was a reason to
0: vote for him. Lawton Childs is also well known for his sense of humor and his use of Florida colloquialisms. His ability to connect with people made him a very popular politician that people still remember fondly today. I think it was his love for
1: people uh, and part of that was his love for the way people talked uh, and that and that was across cultures he's most known uh, for his affinity for uh, North Florida and other rural areas of Florida for the way uh, that um, the the way that people talked in uh, bringing nature into the conversation, talking about the natural environment uh, 's very similar to the way that, that Native Americans did in associating um, animals, plants, uh, foods, popular foods, um, you know, the saying that the old he walks just before the light of day, uh, the saying that perhaps he's best known for as as Florida's governor, uh, was, uh, was a way to be funny uh, in a way, and his, and his humor came across to people, but it was also um, just an appeal to uh, the way Florida uh, for the best florida's in what was in were was in his mind florida 's best traditions uh of being close to nature being close to uh and, and that meant fishing and hiking and hunting as well um, and uh but he he not only reached across cultural divides. Um, in, uh, in the panhandle and rural areas in Florida. He also he loved the way uh, Spanish Florida spoke. He loved Cubans. He loved uh, mixing with all types of colors, uh, c- uh, all types of cultures. And, uh, and, and I think that was what made him an enduring part of uh, Florida's political culture from decade to decade.
0: Lawton Child's efforts to reform health care sparked a national debate that continues today. The successful Truth campaign that discourages teen smoking is the result of Child's litigation against the tobacco industry. He championed transparency in government, resulting in important legislation. His very frugal campaigns, which were always successful, are models for backers of campaign finance reform. John Das Passos Coggin.
1: I think his greatest achievements can be boiled down to three uh, essential areas. Uh, One was uh, bringing government closer to the people, accountability, transparency. Uh, he's perhaps best known for the Government in the Sunshine Act, uh, which passed uh, toward the very end of his first term in the U.S. Senate. Uh, it was one of his proudest accomplishments, opening up the doors of the federal government to, uh, to everyone. Uh, he's also very well known for uh, his children's policy, children's welfare, uh, health, education, children's health and education. Uh, those were paramount to him. Uh, and uh, related to the third uh, area of achievement,
0: which was on uh, tobacco control. John Despassos Coggin began this project looking at the legendary figure of Lawton Childs, but through his research discovered a complex man who he brings to life for the reader. One of the aspects of him that was brand
1: new to me and a wonderful surprise was his appreciation for Wal- Ralph Waldo Emerson, Uh, one of America's best philosophers. Um, He read Emerson. He thought about Emerson deeply. He related it to his political activities in the U.S. Senate. Uh, The essay Circles by Emerson was a favorite of his. Uh, And that was an aspect of him that I was very pleased to, to discover and uh, was just one of the, the enriching surprises uh, on the research trail.
0: Chandas Passos Coggin is author of the book Walk in Lawton, which is being called the definitive biography of Lawton Childs. You can find the book at myfloridahistory.org/Lawton or at Amazon.com, where it's also available as a Kindle eBook. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to explore the library of Florida history, watch original video, and listen to archived editions of this program. That's myfloridahistory.org. Also be sure to join us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society where you can get our daily post today in Florida history.
3: As the son of a son of a sailor I went out on the sea for adventure. Commanding the view of the captain and crew Like a man just released from indenture As a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man I have chalked up many a my own. Read dozens of books about heroes and crooks And I learned much both of their styles Son of a son, son of a son Son of a son of a sailor. Son of a god. Oh the last time. One step ahead of the jailer.
0: The now first I'm annual Florida Maritime Science Festival will be held Saturday, June 8th from 10 AM to 4 p.m. at the Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute in Fort Pierce. The event is free and open to the public. Dr. Rachel Wentz is director of the Florida Public Archaeology Network East Central Region and one of the organizers of the Florida Maritime Science Festival. Welcome back to Florida Frontiers, Rachel.
2: Oh, thank you very much.
0: Tell me what the goal of this event is.
2: Well, the goal of the event is really to highlight Florida's rich maritime history. And the whole idea for this festival was really Dr. Roger Smith, who is the state of Florida's underwater archaeologist. He works within the Division of Historical Resources. And for the last couple of years, he's talked about holding an annual festival to highlight the rich history and the fascinating science and underwater archaeology that's going on around our coasts.
0: And the centerpiece of the festival is a a series of three lectures, beginning with Dr. Shirley Pomponi from Harbor Branch.
2: Yes, she is one of Harbor Branch's lead researchers, and she is going to discuss some of the cutting-edge research that is going on in underwater research, not only around Florida, but across the nation.
0: And the next presentation is from an FPAN colleague of yours, Jeff Moats.
2: Yes, Jeff Moats is regional director of the West Central Region, and he is an underwater archaeologist, and he's going to be talking about Florida's shipwreck preserves, which are actually... Um, An underwater park that you can visit these incredible shipwrecks. They're very popular among scuba divers and snorkelers. And they're really kind of living museums because not only do they feature the archaeology of the past, but they're also very incredible natural habitats. So divers can go and see a piece of history and natural history.
0: And finally, Dr. Roger Smith, as you mentioned, was behind this originally, is Florida State Underwater Archaeologist, and he's also going to be speaking.
2: He is. He's our keynote address speaker at 2 o'clock, and he's going to be discussing some of the latest research that was conducted up in the Panhandle, looking at one of the earliest shipwrecks in the nation, the shipwreck of Tristan de Luna. Which wrecked in the mid 1500s, and some of uh, which is one of the best preserved shipwrecks off our coast. So he'll be talking about what it was like doing that research and what we've learned from uh, Spanish history.
0: Now, in, in addition to the three talks, I know that there's going to be uh, some exhibits at this event. I know that the uh, Florida Historical Society is going to have an exhibit looking at the maritime history of Florida from the canoes used by prehistoric people all the way up to more more modern ships. Uh, and there's going to be other exhibits as well, right?
2: We're expecting about a dozen vendors, and um, the Friends of Harbor Branch are bringing in a lot of the small groups that they work with to exhibit not only things for sale, but educational materials, books. Uh, the Florida Historical Society, of course, will have books uh, concerning Florida's maritime history for sale. So it's going to be a real range. We're even going to have some, an antique car collection out on the lawn for people to look at as they enter and leave the festival.
0: Great. Well, it sounds good. Thanks for telling us about it.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. We look forward to the event.
0: The first annual Florida Maritime Science Festival will be held Saturday, June 8th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at the Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute in Fort Pierce. The event is free and open to the public. Dr. Rachel Wentz is director of the Florida Public Archaeology Network East Central Region and one of the organizers of the Florida Maritime Science Festival. She's also author of the books Chasing Bones and Archaeologists' Pursuit of Skeletons, Life and Death at Windover, Excavations of the 7,000-Year-Old Pond Cemetery, and Let Burn, The Making and Breaking of a Firefighter Paramedic. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society.
3: But son of a son, son of a son, son of a son. One step ahead of the jailer, I'm just the son of a son, son of a son, son of a son of a sailor. The seas in my veins, my tradition remains. I'm just glad I don't live in a trailer.
0: thousand years ago, canoes were one of the most popular modes of transportation in Florida. Bill Dudley reports on the discovery of more than a 100 prehistoric canoes at Noonan's Lake near Gainesville.
5: On a summer's morning, a group of archaeologists and helpers are hard at work on the north side of Noonan's Lake, just east of Gainesville. They're digging in wet sand with trowels and hands, uncovering the remains of canoes left behind by people who lived here nearly 5,000 years ago.
6: We tried to carefully brush and remove sand with our hands, but trowel where we could in certain places. So it was kind of a mixture of methods. The wood is very, very, it looks good to the naked eye, but... Technically, there's a lot of decay and deterioration.
5: As an archaeobotanist at the Florida Museum of Natural History, Donna Rule was called to identify the nature of the wood. Of the boats that could be analyzed, most were pine, but a few were cypress.
6: Pine was uh, wood that has a lot of resins in it, and the technology for the dugout canoe is to actually burn in part and chip away with a stone tool or a shell tool in this part of the state or this part of the country. Cypress, which is really, even though it's technically, biologically called a soft wood, it's hard, it's durable, and much harder to break down. And I think there would have been a heck of a lot more time involved with working cypress without metal tools.
5: The ancient canoes were first found in the dry lake bed in the spring of 2000 by a Gainesville high school teacher and some of his students doing environmental work. As more and more boats
4: were uncovered, archaeologists were amazed at the magnitude of the discovery. There are more canoes at Noonan's Lake within two miles of shoreline than have ever been found anywhere else as far as I know in the world at one time. It's not simply by chance that there happen to be a lot of canoes there just like there are everywhere else but we haven't found them elsewhere. It truly is a case that there are many many canoes here.
5: Florida's state archaeologist Jim Miller says canoes
4: made sense to a society without draft animals or anything with wheels. Prehistoric people, Indian people, lived around Noonan's Lake and Clearly, the canoe does two things. It offers a way to exploit an environment, a watery environment like that lake, and it also offers the only way in pre-Columbian America to travel long distances other than by walking. But finding so many boats in one place has
5: raised new questions for the experts.
6: Thinking about abandonment, thinking about drifts, water that, you know, the wind having an effect on the lake and bringing them over to one edge of the lake, but then they should be more piled up than they really were, by and large, they really did have a north-south kind of orientation, as though they were sort of tethered or brought to the shore and left there. There was one, I believe, that appeared as though it was set up on pilings or some such thing, and so that always led us to wonder about the possibility of them being intentionally made there, as well as the fact that they're deposited there for whatever
4: reason. In the Creek language, the name of Noonan's Lake is Pithlachoco. And we were informed by the chief of the Seminole tribe that that is a name which means place of long boats. And there's some speculation that it is a lake which is well known and has been well known for centuries uh, for making canoes. Hidden in soft
5: lake bottom, the decaying wooden canoes are only a little bit harder than the surrounding sand, making studying them a ticklish process the latest carbon dating results indicate a wide range in their ages.
6: The cluster of dates is primarily in the what we would consider the archaic time period here in Florida, and that's 3,000 to 5,000 years ago for the canoe dates. Then there was another clustering of canoes that dated between 23 and 2,700 years ago, and then in the 500 to maybe 1,200 years ago.
5: Rule says the 1,000-year gap may correspond to a time when sea level was down, with a drop in water water tables on the peninsula. Meanwhile, with present drought conditions in Florida, more boats have been turning up around the state.
4: It's important to understand that if a canoe is removed from water, it will be destroyed upon exposure to the air. Uh, wooden canoes are extremely fragile. They can hardly support their own weight most of the time and they require special conservation treatment in order to become stable and to retain their original shape and size. So if you find a canoe, you need to contact a local museum or contact the Division of Historical Resources in Tallahassee, and you can find us on the web at www.flheritage.com.
5: Still, experts are excited by the possibilities of more such finds, leading to increased understanding of the lives of ancient Floridians.
6: I love wood, I love working wood, and I love handling the old wood, which many might think is odd, but I find it fascinating, always have, and I felt privileged to actually be part of this project. I think it's a part of our history that we should know more and more about, and we haven't really thought about the significance of this maritime culture to the level that we probably should have. We knew it was there, but this magnitude of so many canoes in one place really makes us question how many other lakes around the state may have more of
5: this story. I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. You've been listening to
0: Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us right here again next week, and until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org and join us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society. Have a great week. I'm Ben brokmark Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund. It's also made possible by the Kislak Family Foundation, supporter of education, arts, humanities, and Florida history, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.